Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. The Old Testament book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 12. The book of 1 Samuel chapter number 12 found in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, <laughs> Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you come to the book of Joshua, Judges. Then you come to the book of Ruth, followed by the book of 1 Samuel. So right at the beginning of your Bible, the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel in chapter number 12. The book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 12. In this series, we're studying the life and ministry of David. And because the life of David covers two major books, actually three if you count First Chronicles as well, that because this series is so big, we're dividing it in half. That the first half is dealing before David is king. The second half is dealing with David after he's king. And that the first half, as it goes through the book of 1 Samuel, is a comparison between two men. The comparison is between King Saul, who is a man after the people's own heart, and King David, or future King David, who is a man after God's own heart. And we understand that through this series, that God does look on the outside, but he is more concerned with the inside. It is the inner man of the heart, that anyone could make their outside look good. But it is the inside that could be decrepit. It is the inside that could be rotten. It could be the inside that looks pleasant and pleasing in God's sight. And that it is the inner man that we need to be the most concerned of because God changes us from the inside out. That if your insides are right, your outside will be right. Does that make sense? He changes us from the inside out, not from the outside in. And so we have to be concerned with our heart. How is our heart towards the Lord? And so what it does is it doesn't just say that David had was a man after God's own heart and the described David, but in order to get a good comparison, it puts someone else in the picture and shows the heart of King Saul. And you have two men who had the same opportunities. Both men were chosen by God. Both men were anointed by Samuel. Both men had been placed in that position and, and both men were given the opportunities to be used of God. One chose to follow after God. One chose not to follow after God. What was the difference? Where did it go wrong? What happened? Well, that is the study that we find in the book of 1 Samuel, is we see how one man turns closer to the Lord while the other man gets further away from God. So if you don't mind, find your way to the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 12. The book of 1 Samuel chapter number 12 and notice with me in verse number 1. 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 1. <clears throat> and Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice in all that you have said unto me, and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walketh before you, and I am old and gray-headed. And behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood Unto this day, behold, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose ass have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or of whose hand have I received of any bribe to blind my eyes therewith? And I will restore it to you. And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither has any man taken aught of any man's hand. And he said unto them, The Lord is a witness against you, and his anointed is a witness this day, that ye have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, He is a witness. And Samuel said unto the people, It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron, and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. 
When Jacob was come into Egypt, and your fathers cried unto the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt, and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the host of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. And they cried unto the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served Balaam and Ashtaroth. And now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies and we will serve thee. And the Lord sent uh, Jerubbabel and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And ye dwelt safe. And when you saw that Naash, the king of children of Ammon, came against you, you said unto me, Nay, but let a king reign over us, when the Lord your God was king. Now therefore, behold the king whom you have chosen, and whom you have desired. And behold, the Lord had set a king over you. If ye will fear the Lord and serve him, and obey his voice, and not rebel against his commandment of the Lord, then ye shall both ye and the king that reigneth over you, you continue following the Lord your God. But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then ye shall the hand of the Lord be against you, as it was against your fathers. Now therefore stand and see this great thing, which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord, and he send thunder and rain, that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord in asking you a king. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And the people said unto Samuel, Pray for us, or thy servants, unto the Lord thy God, that we die not, for we have added all our sins this evil to ask us a king. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with your, all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Samuel? The book of 1 Samuel chapter number 12. The book of 1 Samuel chapter 12, and notice with me in verse 16. 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 16. Notice the phrase that Samuel says in the midst of this, where he says, stand and see this great thing. Stand and see this great thing. And with the Lord's help, we want to preach a message as Samuel is addressing the people with the idea, stand and see this great thing. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, I'm just asking that you would just give grace and mercy, that you would be able to help us out, and that you would just please give us wisdom as we open up this book Help us to be able to discern and be able to see what you're getting across through your man of God who's preaching to the people. That we could see you high, holy, and lifted up. That we'd understand that it all begins with you. That it all ends with you. That you are the goal. And that as you are a goal, we see that there's consequences and there's things that, that come about as we choose to follow you or we choose to rebel against you. Help us to understand the difference and help us to be able to discern what you're getting across. That we may respond to you properly. Lord, I recognize that my voice is going out and I recognize uh, health and physical and mental. 
I recognize I need you in all of these things. So the best I know how, I surrender them all to you. And ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. And that you once again will get your wonderful work accomplished this morning through your precious word. We do love you and thank you for this opportunity. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, where we've come to in this story so far is that we remember that right after the period of the judges, that Samuel was the transitional prophet. He was the last judge and the first prophet. And it was under his leadership that he anointed the first king, King Saul. Well, after Saul was anointed, and we saw how that kind of went, that Saul's first challenge came up with the city of Jabesh-Gilead. That they have a king from the Ammonites who came, and he threatened the lives of the people in Jabesh-Gilead. In fact, he was so stringent that he said, when you surrender to me, either we destroy your city or you surrender us. And if you surrender to us, we're going to take everyone's right eye and then lay them out and say, look, their God couldn't protect them. Well, they sent messengers out to King Saul, and King Saul raised up an army, and he went and was used things wisely, and God delivered the city of Jabesh-Gilead from its oppressors. Well, now the people are very much in support of King Saul, and they're celebrating, and so they went down to the city of Gilgal, which became the first capital city uh, of the kingdom of Israel, now that it is a kingdom and not a theocracy. Now as they approach, they're in Gilgal, the people are celebrating their victory, that Samuel now steps up and he grabs the people's attention. He has King Saul by his side and he says, I have some things I need to address from the Lord. And as we see this address that Samuel makes before the people, there are some things that God wants to get across to us through this message, through this preaching service, and this is exactly what it is. What we're doing is we're studying the sermon of a preacher. So a preacher standing before the people, he's delivering a message. Let's see what this message is. And maybe after we're done, maybe you'll be glad that I'm your pastor and not Samuel. But anyways... Let's see some things that, that was addressed in this message. The very first thing I'd like to show you is the defense of Samuel. The defense of Samuel. Now in this, they're in the city of Gilgal. They have King Saul standing next to Samuel. Samuel the prophet stands up and he addresses the people and begins to preach. And the very first thing that he has to do was lay a foundation for him that he was the man of God and that he didn't do anything wrong. Notice with me in verse number 1. And Samuel said unto all of Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice in all that you've said unto me. And have made a king over you. Now again Samuel's starting off by saying. Alright I listened. I obeyed. You said you wanted a king. You didn't want God to rule over you. You wanted a king. You wanted a man. So here you go. Here's the man. I've obeyed. God has given you a king. Here he is. Verse number 2. And now behold the king walketh before you. It means the king's in charge now. And I am old and gray headed. And behold my sons are with you. And I've walked you. Before you from my childhood unto this day. Now of course if you're familiar with the story of Samuel. That Samuel was called unto the Lord to be a prophet from the time he was a child. And from the time that he is a child now he's old and gray headed. He has done nothing but serve God and be obedient to God. And that even from a child it says in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3. That from Dan which is the northernmost city of Israel to Beersheba the southernmost border of the city. From all the coast everyone knew that Samuel was ordained to be a prophet. So basically for most of people's lives they knew who the preacher was. They knew it was the preacher that it was Samuel who was the prophet. The judge over uh, the people during this time. Notice in verse 3. Behold, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. So Samuel says, all right, let's, let's do a survey. I want you to tell me before God and before the anointed. So here's the king. All right, you give a testimony before everyone. Did I do anything wrong? Notice as he goes on, verse 3. Behold, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed, God's anointed, Whose ox have I taken? 
So he says, I've been serving for all of these years. Samuel is probably getting 70s to 90s. He's, he's pretty old. He's pretty much been the prophet for 50, 60, maybe 70 years. That's a long time. And he says, in all this time that I've been the preacher, and all of this time I've been the man of God, whose ox have I taken? Whose ass have I taken? Can anyone ever accuse me that I took money, took possessions from you? That's a good question. He says, I want to challenge you on my testimony. Have I ever taken anything wrongly that didn't belong to me? Did I ever use my office to do something wrong in taking someone's possessions? Notice as he goes on. Verse number three, behold, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose ass have I taken? Whom have I defrauded? Meaning that who did I tell lies against? Who did I gossip against? Who did I make look bad when they shouldn't have been bad? Name me someone that I used my words, that I hurt someone in their reputation, lied against them, made them look bad with my words. Notice as it goes on. Whom have I oppressed? Is there anyone that people, people often say this. Preacher's just a dictator. He says, someone tell me where I've been a dictator. You tell me someone that I've oppressed you. That when I preached God's word that I oppressed you. That I was a dictator in your life. He says, tell me. Notice as he goes on. Of whose hand have I received a bribe to blind my eye therewith? He says, you give me any case where I took money so I could turn my eyes and say, no, no, you're a good person. He says, no one's ever bribed me. He goes on. He says, if I've done any of that, you let me know and I'll restore it. I'll make it right, right now. You let me know. So what's the answer? As Samuel stands up and says, hey, tell me if there's anything I've ever done wrong as the pastor, as the preacher, as God's man, as the prophet. Tell me. Verse number four. And they, the people, said, thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's. So they, they answered back and said, nope, Samuel, you've been good. You haven't done any of that. Verse five. And he said unto them, the Lord is witness against you. And his anointed is witness this day that ye have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, he is witness. So Samuel says, listen, you said it before God and before God's anointed, the king's God's anointed. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just letting you know up front. Now, this is going to build a case because Samuel's going to give some hard preaching in a second. You know what people do sometimes? Because they don't like the preacher's message, they have to find something wrong with the preacher. And Samuel said, I'm letting you know before we start. Have you ever found anything wrong with me? No? Okay. Then you have no choice but to either accept the message or reject the message. But you can't blame the preacher. Well, the only reason why the preacher says that is because he's a dictator. Well, the only time the preacher says this is because he wants your money. He says, you can't say that. So the things that I deliver from you is from God. And your business is between him and them. You can't use me as a reason why you're not going to obey. He said, we're starting off clear, so you're letting you know, because he's going to say some pretty important things that he does not need someone to say, well, the only reason why he said that is because the preacher wants this. No, he's saying, I'm God's messenger. This is God's message. I'm just the preacher boy. I'm just the messenger boy. This is God's word, and you can't weasel your way out. So he goes on. <laughs> Notice, if you don't mind, we start off with the defense of Samuel. Now, he's, God's going to start working on people's hearts, and this is a matter of the heart. But it has to start off with the defense of Samuel, so that way people can't blame Samuel for getting their heart right. Notice as we go on to the second thing here. As we come to the second thing, we come to the discourse on God's righteous acts. The discourse on God's righteous acts. That if we're going to respond properly with God, we have to recognize that everything that God does is good and everything that God does is right. You know, there's people who get bitter at God because God did something they didn't want. Do you know that there are times that God makes decisions for us? And he does it for our good. Do you know that there's sometimes that God takes us beside, behind the woodshed and chastens in us? Is God good when he does that? He is. Is God right when he does that? He is. 
So what Samuel's going to do is he's going to go through history, and he's going to go through history, and he's building a case. He says, you can't blame the preacher. But one thing I need you to recognize is that God is always good and God is always right. And when these bad things happened, was God good to allow them? Yes. Was God right to allow them? Yes. Notice as we see this come up here, the discourse on God's righteous acts. Notice with me in verse 6. And Samuel said unto the people, It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron that brought your fathers out of the land of Egypt. So true fact. It was God that brought uh, people out. They used Moses and used Aaron. But it was God that brought you out of Egypt. Number seven. Now therefore stand still. Stand still. Listen to me. Pay attention. That I may reason with you before the Lord all the righteous acts of the Lord. Which he did to you and to your fathers. So he says, all right, we're starting off that God was the one who brought you out of Egypt. Everyone recognizes that. Then let me reason to you what happened afterwards that God was good and that God was right to allow these things to happen. Verse 8. When Jacob was coming to Egypt, your fathers cried unto the Lord. Then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in his place. So what happened is that Jacob went to Egypt, that 70 people multiplied to two and a half million people. The Egyptians saw all these two and a half million people in their backyard and said, well, we have to make sure they don't rise up. Let's make them slaves so they can't rebel against us. So they made the, Egypt, uh, the Israelite people slaves, the Hebrew people slaves. And the people started to cry out and say, God, deliver us from this. Deliver us from this. So God sent a deliverer by the name of Moses and Aaron, his helper. And he delivered them out of Egypt. Verse number nine. And when they forgot their Lord, uh, forgot the Lord their God, he sold them, (coughs) excuse me, sold them in the hand of Sisera, captain of the host of Hazar, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the kings of Moab, and they fought against them. So verse number nine enters into what we call the period of the judges. It's covered in the book of Judges, but basically when God brought the people into the promised land, you know what they did? They forgot God. You know, it's in moments in prosperity that we often forget about God. Everything's going good, so I just do whatever I want. And they forgot God. They didn't want to serve God. Isn't it typical of people that the only time we really pray is when something bad's happening? God, I need your help. What about, God, I need your help when things are going good? God, I need your help. I need you to watch over me when things are wonderful. But they forgot God. And they started serving other gods. They sacrificed to the gods of entertainment. They sacrificed to the gods of pleasure. They sacrificed to these other gods. And they forgot the true and living God. They didn't serve the true and living God. And so what God did is he sent oppressors. He sent people from foreign nations to oppress the people. And the people realized that they needed God. So they cried out to God. Said, God help me. So God sent a deliverer. They delivered them out. The people served God for a moment. And then they had good times again and they forgot God. So God sent an oppressor. The oppressor caused the people to cry out to God and say, God, we need you. They came to the place where everything was going good after they were delivered. They forgot God. So God sent it. And it went on and on. That's a pretty bad cycle, isn't it? That's what the whole book of Judges is, is a cycle over and over. They kept forgetting God. So God sent an oppressor. Now, when God sent the oppressor, Was God being a bad God? He was not. Remember Samuel said, let me tell you of the righteous acts of God. Do you know that when God does things in your life to get your attention, God is not being a bad God? In fact, God is being a very good God. And you know, he he knows what it takes to get our attention where we finally say, God, I need your help. God, I need you. He knows what he needs. And when God does that, he's always good. And he's always right. Even when bad things happen. That's why we have Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them that who are thee called according to his purpose. You know not all things are good. But all things work together for good. Because God knows what it takes to bring us back to himself. And when God allows those things. He's always good. And he's always right. 
Because he loves us and he wants us to be close to us. He wants us to serve him and to acknowledge him. Notice as it goes on in verse number 10. And they cried unto the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth, which are false gods. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies and we'll serve thee. So the oppression hits. When the oppression hits, the people said, Sorry, God, we messed up. We've been serving other gods. We need your help. We need your help. We need your help. Verse number 11. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Badan and Jephthah. Jerubbabel, by the way, is Gideon. And Samuel. Notice Samuel is this because Samuel is the last judge. And delivered you out of the hands of the enemies on every hand. And God, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and ye dwelt safe. So what happened is that God sent judges to deliver them out of the oppression. And he lists some of these judges. Hey, God sent you this person. And God sent you this person. And God sent you this person. And God used these people to bring you out of the oppression so you can serve God. Verse number 12. And when he saw that Nahash... Sorry, and we'll stop there. So we start off with Samuel defending himself and say, hey, I got to tell you some things. But before I tell you, I just want to let you know you can't blame the preacher. That the preacher's not saying this in order to get something from you. The preacher's not saying this because he's trying to be mean. But I have to build a case and I don't want you to have the escape clause. Well, the only reason why the preacher's saying this is because of this, because of that. Then he says, now let me remind you that God is always good and that God is always right. And he goes through the period of judges and he wants them acknowledging, yes, even though that was not fun to go through, that's what was necessary. Even though that's not what we would have chosen, that's what was needed to bring us back to himself. So now we come to the heart of the message. Here is King Saul. Here is Samuel. And we come to the third thing here. The displeasure for wanting a king. <clears throat> the displeasure for wanting a king. Now, again, this is kind of interesting in my mind. Because as he's preaching the message, the king is standing next to him. So he's addressing and preaching a message about how evil their hearts were because they wanted a king. Hey, King Saul, I'm just letting you know, people were evil for wanting a king. That's going to turn out well. Notice, if you don't mind, as we pick it up in verse 12. <clears throat> And when ye saw that Naish, the king of the children of Ammon, came up against you. So here again, another king is coming up. Another oppression is starting to happen. In verse 12, And when ye saw that Naish, the king of the children of Ammon, came up against you, ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. Now, Samuel said, You know what? You, what you did not do is you did not go to God and say, God, we need your help. They said, we want the government to help us out with our problem. They sought something other than God to help them. In this case, it was the government, but it's just as evil as people say, well, I need help. I'm turning to drugs. I'm turning to an addiction. I'm turning to a hobby. I'd rather have this direct my path than ask for God and for his help. And so Samuel's saying, you're wrong in doing this. You sh God was already your king. You could have went to him and he would have given you help. But instead, you said, we want something else. We want the government to help us out. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 14. If ye will fear the Lord and serve him. Uh, sorry, uh, verse number 13. Let's catch this. Now, therefore, behold the king of whom you chosen. All right, so this is the king you get. This is the king that you wanted. There he is. Wouldn't you hate to be Saul as the preacher's pointing at him and saying, Hey, this is what you wanted. You are evil for asking a king. This is what you got. If you will fear, uh, verse 13, Now therefore behold the king of whom you chosen and of whom you desired. Remember that King Saul was a man after their own heart, not after God's own heart. And behold, the Lord hath sent a king over you. But now we come to a promise. Now, basically he's saying we got to start from where we are and move forward. You've got a king now. What do we do with this? What, what happens? Notice here's a promise. If ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandments of the Lord, 
then ye shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. Verse number 14, maybe you'd like to highlight that, star that, but this is a promise. I love promises of God. And this is a promise that goes on for us as a nation. What does it say? If ye will fear the Lord. So it starts off with the fear of the Lord. We're going to talk more about the fear of the Lord in just a minute because Samuel is going to illustrate what does it mean to fear God. But if you will fear the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the book of Proverbs says. The fear of the Lord, if you will revere God, fear who he is, fear his power, fear who he is, and obey his voice. Meaning that whatever God tells you to obey, if you will fear God and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. Here we go now. We know that submission and rebellion are heart issues of man. And that's what we're dealing with with 1 Samuel. The heart of man. That Saul was a man after the people's own heart. And, and David was a man after God's own heart. It is a heart issue. And here is where we come to. That we come to the commandments of the Lord. We come to the biblical authority of God. And whenever biblical authority gives you something to do. You will respond one of two ways. You will either rebel or you will submit. What do you mean by this? All right. Let's say that you ask the preacher a question. Maybe you see him, email him, text, whatever, smoke singles. And the preacher says, this is what the Bible says. You will either submit and say, you know what? The preacher probably is right. Because remember, he built a case before. Hey, I'm letting you know. Did I steal anything? Did I do anything wrong? Nope. Can't blame the preacher. This is what the Bible says. You can't blame the preacher. <clears throat> that you will either rebel or submit. The preacher tells you what to do. It's a heart issue. Inside of your heart it says, all right, I will submit to his authority. I may not understand, but I'm going to submit. And submit, by the way, is not just doing God's will. It's delighting in God's will. I may not understand it, but this is what the preacher has given me from the Bible. I'm going to do my best to obey it as long as it's not illegal, immoral, or biblical. But you know what happens often is that we don't like the preacher's answer, so we rebel. So you asked a question, and the preacher said, no, this is what the Bible says. This is the indication. Well, I don't like that answer. Can you believe what the preacher just said to me? I don't think he's right. Did you submit or rebel? Rebelled. Is that going to go well for you? No. Now, this is a promise that he's giving here. He's setting conditions. If you fear God, obey his voice, and not rebel against the commandments. Do you know that we live in a rebellious society? Do you know that Christians have adopted a rebellious attitude? Now, we're not talking about dictatorship. We're talking about a heart issue. Is God right or is he not right? Take the preacher out of the equation. The preacher's just the messenger boy. Deal with God on the issue. What does God have to say about the matter? What does God have to say? Well, it's just the preacher's opinion. Take the preacher out of the equation. You go to God himself. The preacher's just trying to answer questions according to the Bible. Does it make sense? But, he, but here's the problem. Now I'm trying to establish this because God is putting a promise here. Don't we want the promises? He says, what do we do with it? We got a king now. How are we going to react? Notice with me in verse 14. If ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then, so if then statement, if you do this, then God will do his part. Most of the promises in the Bible are an if then statement. If you do this, then God will respond like this. If you will fear the Lord and serve him, if you will obey his voice, if you will not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. Here's the promise. If you as God's people 
will fear God. If you as God's people will obey God. If you as God's people don't rebel against God and his authority. Then both you and your king, your government shall continue to follow God. Let's take this logically now. Let's apply it to our culture. Does our government follow the Lord? The answer is a big wholehearted no underscore. Then whose fault is it according to this passage? God's people. God's people. Why? What happened? We did not fear God and or we did not obey his commandments and or we rebelled against God's authority. Biblical authority in our life. Well, I don't care what the preacher says. Well, that's an issue. I don't care what my husband says. Well, that's an issue. I don't care what my parents said. That's an issue. I don't care what my boss says. Well, that's an issue. Well, I don't care what my teachers say. That's an issue. Don't you understand? We live in a very, very rebellious society. But God made a promise here. So the problem with our nation is not Hollywood. It's not Nashville. It's not the atheist. It's not the, the other cultures. It's us. Because this is a promise of God. It's not them that need to be fixed. It's us. Because God made a promise. He didn't say, if you obey me, fear me, and not rebel, and the atheists are in line, then I will do this. They're not part of the equation. It is an us thing. So our conclusion is, if our government is not following the Lord, then it is us that need to be fixed. And where is the center of all the issues? Our heart. It is our heart that we don't have a heart that fears God. That we don't have a heart that wants to submit to what God has given us to do. But rather our heart is full of rebellion. I will choose what's right in my life. I don't care what the preacher says. You may not say it that way. But that's what your actions come up to. And again he started off by saying. You can't blame the preacher for any of this. Take the preacher out of the equation. It's a heart issue. It is your heart issue. Where is your heart? Now God made a clear promise. That if God's people which are called by his name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And then, and if then statement, then I will hear from heaven, heal their, forgive their sin and heal their land. God made if and statements all throughout the Bible. Why hasn't God done his part? Because we didn't do our part. So is it perhaps maybe there's some rebellion? How do you know that I'm in rebellion? How do you respond when the preacher gives you something you don't agree with. If he did not give you anything illegal, immoral, and biblical. You will either submit one of two ways. Submission or rebellion. And that's a heart issue. You know you can do what you're told. But your heart not be right. Submission is not an action. It is the heart issue that produces an action. And if you were to be honest. If you were to really be honest. Most of us, if not every single one of us, have a rebellion problem. And that's what's the heart of the matter here. It's the heart of the matter is our own heart. Not towards the preacher, but towards the Lord himself. Are you going to rebel or obey? Notice, if you don't mind, we go on. We have the promise given. But in order for Samuel to get their attention, because like normal people, they can nod their head and smile, but say, whatever, preacher. So Samuel, used of God, gets their attention. Notice if we go on, verse number 15. But if you will not obey the voice of God, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord shall be against you as it was against your fathers. What is he talking about? The period of Judges. Because the people's heart was rebellion towards God, God sent through oppression. Why did the oppression come? Was it because the atheists were in charge? No. It was because God's people were rebelling. Do you understand that we are on the precipice in our country for the Bible to be outlined, outlawed? It is. 
Do you know that in California they're already passing a law that carries the idea that it is illegal to sell any document that goes against the gay lesbian agenda? Does the Bible go against it? It does. Now, is it the atheist's fault? Not according to the scripture. It is because we rebelled against God's commandment. You understand? In your lifetime, I never thought I would say this statement. In your lifetime, oppression is coming to us. Principle we covered before. Is God always good and God always right? If oppression comes, is God wrong? He is not because God is always good and God is always right. Whose fault is it? It is ours because of our rebellious heart. You say, but it's only a little rebellious a little bit leavens the whole lump. It is an us issue of our rebellious heart. That we think that we could be like Burger King and we could pick and choose and have it our way. No. You say, but I don't agree with the preacher. Well, that's called submission. When you agree with the preacher, that's called union. That's what we want. Re submission comes when we disagree with the preacher and how our heart responds. By the way, I've been there. I've been not always a pastor. I was not born a pastor. I had a pastor before too. I understand what it's like when the preacher gives you something you're like, Are, is he crazy? And you respond with your heart. Fine, I'll do it, but I'm not going to be happy about it. You could not, you don't have to nod your head, but you've probably been there and done that. But the idea is not, you think he's crazy. It's the idea, am I submitted to God? And as long as the preacher doesn't ask me anything illegal, immoral, biblical, I need to do my best to do it. Because the preacher take him out of the way. This is a hard issue between you and God. Not with the preacher. Do we want our country fixed? I hope you do. Then how does it happen? Does it happen when we bomb Washington and California and get rid of Madison? No. It happens when we fix our own rebellious heart. It is our rebellion that is causing the oppression to come. Because God has to get our attention by saying you are wrong. It is you that is wrong. And we have to get to the place where we stop blaming everyone else for our problems. And realize that it could be because of us. And that when God does something to get our attention. It is because he is good and because he is right to do those things. But the illustration's not done. He's saying that, and he's having some people nod their head, but they're not getting it yet. That would never happen here, right? So, Samuel, with the power of God and God doing it, God doing this, notice what happens now. Verse 16. Now, therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. He says, all right, pay attention. If you don't pay attention, you're going to jump. If you don't pay attention, this is going to be really freaky, he said. Verse number 17. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord and he shall send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see what your wickedness is great and that you have done what you have done in the Lord, sight of the Lord in asking for a king. So Samuel called unto the Lord and the Lord sent thunder thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel <laughs> now I'm just a lowly preacher and I don't have anything like this we could do special effects but that's kind of cheap but here's Samuel he says you're nodding your head but you're not getting it you don't understand what God means by fear God and say I'm going to obey him you don't understand the idea that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom you don't understand that it should lead to the idea of submission and not rebellion. So, hey, isn't this the time of harvest? So it's about the April time frame. It's about the time that the, the rains stop and summertime's beginning. Meaning that there's no more rain toward the summer months. So it's not a normal time for rain. And he says, is it not the end of harvest? Is it not time that the latter rains are done? He says, just so you know that God is doing this message, not me. He says, I'm going to call through thunder and lightning. And all of a sudden, thunder hit. And the storm hits and the wind's blowing. And by the way, no one's running away. But they're all scared and say, wow. 
Hey, if you had lightning striking nearby you, if you had thunder that was blowing, you'd probably think of her a second and say, well, maybe there's, especially since it was nice blue skies. And then all of a sudden, boom. And Samuel said, I just want to let you know this message is from God and not just me. Let you know this. And the people feared. What was the fear that they had? Was it a fear like, well, I love you, daddy, and I don't want to disappoint you, even though that is part of it. No, they were afraid. Why were they afraid? That's God. If you stood before God, you'd be afraid too. You know, the idea of fear of God is that you realize who God is and you say, I can't disobey him. He's God. I'm little. I'm small. I'm a bug. Which one of you guys can send lightning? None of you. You don't have any control. As much as you might think you could go out in the rain and weather and say, peace, be still. The storm ignores you anyway and you just get wet. You don't have any power. Little, nothing. You can't control anything. But God did that. And the people said, you know what? I'm so tiny and that's God. Who am I, this tiny little bug? Imagine a little tiny grasshopper waving his fist at God and say, God, I'm not going to obey you. I'm going to do whatever I want. It doesn't match up. You know how small we are to God? And yet we have the audacity to say, I could choose to do whatever I want. God's not the boss of me. That's a problem. Well, I don't care what the preacher says. He's stupid. <laughs> That's a problem. Because again, take the preacher out of the equation. It's between you and the Lord. The preacher's just the messenger boy. You understand? This is the idea of fear of God. Recognizing he is so big. And I am so small. I'd be afraid to rebel against God because I am so small. It's realizing who God is. He's not just some grandfather kind of guy over there. Hey, I'm going to go ahead and do whatever I want today. See you later, bro. But that's how some people treat God. He is God of the universe. He's the God who created you and me. We are nothing, nothing. That's the type of fear that we need to have is to realize we are nothing. We are small and pathetic and weak. We are like dust. How dare we have so much pride and audacity that says, God, I could choose what I want to do and there's nothing you could do about it. God can do quite a bit about it. You understand? This is a heart issue that leads to a behavior change. But it is a heart issue. And the reason why our nation is messed up is because of our rebellion. And if that would get fixed, guess what? It would change the society around us because of God's promises. It is an us thing. So now, do you think Samuel's got their attention? Probably. The people are afraid and they're not going anywhere and they're going, wow. For those people who were asleep earlier, this was the big elbow to the ribs. They're all like, okay, what just happened here? Something just happened here. Something, God's got their attention. And notice how they respond now. Verse number 19. And all the people said unto Samuel, pray. Actually hit verse 18. And Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people feardly great, uh, feared the Lord and Samuel. Now, they're not fearing Samuel because he had any power. They feared Samuel because he was the messenger boy delivering God's message. And to disobey Samuel as he's delivering God's word is to disobey God. You understand that's how authority works. It's not because Samuel was some great guy. He had powers of himself. It's because he's the messenger boy. It is God's message and the preacher that they had. Verse 19. And the people said to Samuel. Pray for the servants unto the Lord thy God. That we die not. How afraid were they? Well having a storm this intense. They're saying pray for us. That we die not. For we have added all of our sin to this evil. To ask for the king. They recognized oops we messed up. Which now brings us to the conclusion. With all of this here. What do we do with a message? Well, the good thing is God doesn't leave us guessing. He teaches us how to respond. We see the last thing, the declaration and how to respond. The declaration 
for how to respond. And what God does here in verses 20 through 25, it gives us a list of how to respond to God properly. Well, that sounds like an important list, doesn't it? The declaration of how to respond. How do we respond properly? Notice, if you don't mind, as we get this, the very first thing that we find in verse number 20. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord, notice this, with all your heart. The very first thing in here is to follow the Lord with your heart. Follow the Lord with your heart. Not just with your actions. What do we mean by this? It means submission. For example, we use the illustration that for those of you who have had kids and teenagers, you could tell the teenager, go clean your room. Fine. Did they submit? They did not. They may have obeyed in action, but we're not talking about action. We're talking about their heart that leads to action. Their heart is in rebellion. God says that if we are going to respond properly to him, we have to have a determination that we're going to obey him with our heart, that we're going to submit. This carries the idea that God, whatever you tell me to do, as long as it's not illegal, immoral, or unbiblical, I'm going to do my very best to obey it. Even if it's something I don't want to do, I'm going to do my best to do it because of you. Because of you. That we need to fear God and obey God with our heart. That's the very first one. It's a determination. It's something you have to decide before you get to the decision. If you say, well, I'm going to wait until I get to the decision and then figure out if I'm going to obey or not. It's already too late. You have to determine I'm going to obey God before you come to the decision. Whatever God tells me, I'm going to submit. Even if it's something I don't like, as long as it's not illegal, immoral, and biblical, I'm going to do my best to obey. I'm going to do my best to obey. All right. What's another thing here that he gives in this? Notice with me in verse 21. And turn ye not aside, for then ye shall go after vain things. The word vain means empty. So ye not go after vain things, which cannot profit or deliver, for they are vain. We understand the principle here that if you turn away, you get things not as good as God. You understand that either God is your goal or something else is your goal. And if something else is your goal, you're only getting a byproduct. You're getting something weaker than the goal. The best thing is the never-ending pursuit of Christ. To get after God. You understand, if money is your goal, then God's not your goal. The things you do is a different motive. It carries the idea of motive. That the, thing, the reason why you do things is for God. That God is your goal. If you're going to follow God with all of your heart, if you're going to respond properly for God, you have to come up with the idea that God is my goal. He's the one that I'm trying to please. He's the one that is, I need to make happy. Not my flesh, not other people. It is him. It is him. He is my goal. Anything else, I get second rate. What happens if you make something else your goal and you get it? Will you get something less than what God wanted you to have? God wants you to have everything he desires for you. But that only happens when you get him. When he is your goal. So first of all, we understand that we need to prepare our heart to submit. That we need to prepare our hearts beforehand to submit to him. Second of all, we make God our goal. God is our goal. Notice as it goes on in verse number 22. Excuse Excuse me. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. A third thing, if we're going to respond properly to God, we understand that God loves you and he wants to work in your life. That God loves you and he wants to work in your life. So because of that, there's sometimes there are restrictions. Now, does God hate you because he gives you a restriction? No. Let me give an example. All right? You tell your child, don't go play in traffic. But mom, dad, you're trying just to quelch my fun. 
Don't you understand? I got plenty of room out there. Don't you understand there may be a safety thing that God tells you not to do to protect you? As, as you as a parent telling your kid that they can't play in traffic, are you being mean? Are you limiting their fun? No. It's because you love them. It's because you love them. Hey, child, don't put a, uh, uh, don't put a fork inside of the plug. All right? Are you just saying, well, you're just trying to quelch my fun. I, it looks like it would be lots of fun to me. No, God's trying to protect you. Understand that God loves you. And he's not trying to be a mean person. He's trying to help you in life. So no, don't go do that. Well, I could do whatever I want. I could have fun. No, he's trying to protect you because he loves you. He wants the best for you. And so when he gives you those things, don't rebel like a teenager, right? Can I borrow the car? No. Well, why not? Well, you know, the parents might have a reason that the child doesn't have to understand. Are you going to submit? Do you understand? Your parents might have a good reason of protecting you when they say no. Absolutely. God loves us. He's not trying to be mean. He loves us. And so there's certain things he does for us that we may not understand now. But can you trust that he has his, our best interest in heart because he loves us? Yes, absolutely. Notice if you don't mind, you see something else. Verse number 24, uh, 23 rather. Moreover, as for me, God forbid. So this is Samuel speaking. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and right way. Here we see the idea of a preacher. You got to realize this. The preacher prays for you and he desires to teach you the Bible. The preacher loves you and he's trying to teach you the Bible. The preacher is not your enemy. The preacher loves you and he wants the best for you. And he's trying to help you. It's not you versus the preacher. The preacher's trying to just point you to God. He's the messenger boy. If you're here to a child say, well, thy teacher hates me. Have you ever heard, raise your hand if you ever heard a child say, I think the teacher hates me. You know, I actually know I was a teacher that when they do an uh, interview with a teacher, that one of the questions they ask the teacher, do you hate children? Because the only ch uh, teachers we allow is that if you hate certain children, then you could be the teacher. Is that what happens? You know why a teacher teaches? Because they love kids. Doesn't that make sense? And a teacher doesn't say, well, you know what? I hate little Johnny. So I'm going to give the whole class homework so I can show Johnny. Well, you know, little Johnny, I hate Johnny so much. I'm going to make him sit up front right by me. The teacher hates me, makes me sit up front. No, it's actually because the teacher really, really loves you and is trying to help you. Right? Understand? The preacher's not out to get you. And he's not trying to make your life miserable. His goal is trying to get himself out of the way and say, there's God. There's God. That's what Samuel's trying to tell those people there. I'm not trying to hurt you. Which one of you have ever stole anything, oppressed, was a dictator, any of that? No one, Samuel. Okay. I'm not out to get you. But you know what the preacher is doing? He's praying for you. In fact, Samuel said, it is a sin unto God if I don't pray for you. That's true as me as a preacher. It is a sin unto God if I don't pray for you. You know, if I pray for you as I ought, I don't want your life to be destroyed. I'm investing in you. And when I preach a message, even if it's not popular, is it there to help you? Or I purposely try to find all the messages I can to make people angry. The preacher's trying to help. The preacher's not against you. He's trying to help. You have to understand that principle. The preacher's trying to help because he loves you. He's praying for you. He cares for you. Notice as it goes on. <clears throat> Verse 24. Only fear the Lord. Here's another principle. Fear the Lord. What kind of fear do we have? The same fear that they had when the lightning and the thunder was hitting there. When they said, oh, we're, please don't let us die. What kind of fear is that? It's recognizing how big God is and how small we are. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we're going to respond properly, we have to have a fear of God. 
What's another thing? Verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all of your heart. Isn't it amazing how that word heart has popped up over and over and over? You understand, I can't see your heart and no one else can. You can respond well on the outside, but in your heart you're saying, that good for nothing preacher, I hate him. He doesn't understand me. Or worse yet, that stupid God, he's trying to limit my fun. It is a heart matter that every time biblical authority gives you something to do, you will respond one of two ways. That's it. One of two ways, submission or rebellion. Every time your parents tell you to do something, kids, submission or rebellion. You understand every one of us have biblical authority. How we respond to biblical authority is one of two ways, submission or rebellion. Submission is a heart matter. Rebellion is a heart matter. It is the heart that needs to be taken care of. Notice verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all of your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. To help us to respond properly to God, we also need to consider the great things that God did for us. What kind of things has God done for us? Well, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why is that such an important thing? Because we recognize that we're all sinners. What's a sin? A sin is anything that we've disobeyed God's word on. The Bible says, thou should not bear false witness, don't tell lies. We've all told lies. We've all disobeyed God. Because of our disobedience to God, God is so big and we're so small. We deserve death. We deserve to be separated from God. We deserve an awful place called hell. Every single one of us, including me. But God loved us so much, he didn't want us to go to that awful place called hell. So God robed himself in flesh and came down on this earth as the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the same life that you and I lived. He went through the same temptations, the same troubles, and the same heartbreaks. Then Jesus died to pay your price. And all you have to do is accept that free gift that he offered you. You know what an amazing thing it is for us to be forgiven of all of our sins forever? That's a big deal. When you think of all that Jesus did for us, how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely? After all, he's done for me. God has done so much for me. Because of that, shouldn't I try to do my best? Shouldn't I try to listen knowing that he does so much for me all the time? There's one more thing in this list here. How do we respond properly to God? Notice with me in verse 25. But if ye shall still do wickedly and shall be consumed, both ye and your king. One last thing is to realize that there are consequences for our disobedience. There is a payday someday. Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There is a payday someday. Your consequences will come to roost. Your consequences will come. You know, if nothing else, if the love of God doesn't constrain you, if nothing else, then come down to the idea that there is consequences for my action. Every action has consequences. And it keeps us from responding to God. If nothing else, the fear of God. I don't want God to take me outside of the um the woodshed, so I'm going to obey. You know, sometimes that works for children. Children say, well, I'm not going to do this because I want to. I just don't want mom and dad to take me outside the woodshed afterwards. That's what has to happen. That's what has to happen. But here Samuel is taking all of Israel and is trying to give them a promise. You messed up before. We can't do anything about the past. All we can do is start from where we are and move forward. This is how to move forward. This is how to respond properly. This is how to move forward because there's a God who loves you so very much. He says, I'm getting myself out of the way. This is between you and him. You do business with him. But obey him. Because he loves you. And if you want your nation to be great. If you want your nation not to have oppression. Then you have a big part in this. If you do this. Then I will do this. What a big thing of responsibility that we have. 
you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.